Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. How is everyone doing today? That sounds great. The audio just kind of kicked in. I got a little feedback up here. Sounds good. Anybody that's ever sang on the podium when you can't hear yourself, it feels awkward. Uh, but would you do me a favor? Stand up real quick. Smile at someone. Tell them they look good today. Don't lie. Say something positive. Say something encouraging. Everybody looks good today. It's going to be a hot one today. It's going to be a hot one all week. I've seen something about thunderstorms Monday through next Sunday or Saturday. Yes, straight thunderstorms all week. If you love to sleep during the rain, this is your week right here. But we're going to go ahead and uh, jump right to it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. And uh, I'm going to actually... I say something different every time, but we're going to read two passages of Scripture this morning. Uh, if you want to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and once you turn there, if you, all, if you also want to find uh, the book of Psalms chapter 46, those are the two passages of Scriptures we're going to read. And while you're taking your time to get there, I want to take a moment and give honor again to our pastor and to our first lady. Again, I thank them for the opportunity to minister this morning, to teach. Uh, I never take it lightly. Um, I know it seems like rhetoric of what we do up here, but it truly is an honor to stand before you guys today. So if you've made it to 2 Chronicles 32 and Psalms 46, can you give me amen? Amen. I hear enough of them this morning. We're going to read, I think it's about 16 verses of Scripture, so hang with me. 2 Chronicles 32, first we're going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, the Bible says he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains, which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also, King Hezekiah, he strengthened himself, and he built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers, and another wall without. And repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the streets of the gate of the city. And spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and be courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for this king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with them. For there be more with us, he says, than with them. Because with them is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us. Somebody say he's the Lord our God to help us. Amen. And to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalms 46. And it just says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth be moved and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. And then the last two verses, if you would skip down to verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Bow your heads this morning as we pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for what you're going to do in this place, Lord. God, would you teach us from your word today, God? Let this word, let the seed of the word fall on good ground, God, where it can grow, God, and produce a harvest. I pray, challenge us, God, and help us to grow today and be more like you. If you would say amen with me, you may be seated. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I'd like to teach on a simple subject, very simple subject, I like to teach on a present help, a present help. How many know God is a present help? We just read it and said he is a very present help. And so I want to start this morning off with a question. Wives and husbands, don't look at each other as I do this. I'm not going to pit you against one another. But for those who are not married, this, this applies to everybody from front to the back, left to right. How many of you would consider yourselves an independent person. Show of hands. Cool. Yeah, we're independent. I'm not talking about, you know, relationally you're independent or, or anything like that, but I'm talking about you would be considered independent in how you act, your actions, right? And what I mean is you're so independent, you don't need no help. Anybody? You don't need help, right? You, you don't need anybody to help you do whatever you want to do. You're so independent, you don't even like reading the directions that come with whatever you have to do. You're, you're that independent. You don't want the help that the directions provide. You don't want it. I hear a few amens in the background. That's how independent you are. Anybody? Can I get a witness? Anybody? Nobody wants to admit that they're that they're that independent, right? I have no qualms this morning about admitting that I'm independent. My wife is looking at me. She's, I said no amen in, but she's, she's amen in right there. Sister Valley, I'll admit, I'm a C, proud of it, okay? All right? I don't want to say that, you know, I don't want to say that I don't like people because I, it's not about not liking people, Sister Valerie. Um, that's not really it. I, I like people. I do. I try my best to like people. <laughs> but sometimes, all right, sometimes people, just people, I'm not going to point to anybody, anybody, anything. People, they have a way of complicating things. It's just made more simpler when I do it by myself, right, than, than anybody else doing it with me or, 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 or trying to assist me. Right? And, and for certain tasks, that's, that's just the way my mind works. I don't need your help. Okay? I, I don't. Too many people helping me start to hinder me. Anybody? Right? You know, I'd rather just do it on my own or I'm going to get that one trustworthy person that they ain't going to question when I tell them this is how I do it. They're just going to, they know already that this is how I like it done. Um, but I, I, I looked this up and... Uh, I found some studies that said America is a stubborn nation. That would be hard to believe, right? America is a stubborn nation. Three in four people don't ask for help unless they absolutely need help. They just, three out of four people. Four people sitting in a row, three of y'all are just not going to say a word until you really, really need help. Only a quarter of Americans are willing to ask for help before tackling something new. A new survey asked 2,000 Americans at what point they ask for help when starting something new and how they rely on their support system in life. And they found that 73% of people don't ask for help until they really, really, really need it. Half of the respondents in this uh, survey, they wait to ask for help until it starts to become too overwhelming. 8% ask when it's too late and they just can't continue doing whatever they're trying to do. And 13% say they never ask for help at all. Only 27% of Americans ask for guidance before they start something new. The survey also found that 
feel that they're held back from achieving certain goals in their lives because for so long they tried to do it alone and they just passed that point of where if they even asked for help, it would make a difference. Shocking when I read that. I read another story by a woman named Nora Bouchard, and she says this in her, her column. I guess she's a psychologist or whatnot. She says, average people are just hardwired to want to do things on their own and be independent-minded. Raise your hand if you're independent. There we go. I got a few that want to join with me. So we, we fall under whatever she's calling an average person. It doesn't feel weird if you just don't like people, okay? It doesn't, it's not a weird thing. It's just she says it's average, okay? So asking for help, she says, often makes people feel uneasy because it requires us surrendering control to someone else. There are some people, she says, who have a really hard time with that piece because if you ask someone to help you, you have to surrender your control of whatever you're asking them for help to do, right? Have you ever asked someone to do something, but they don't do it the way you want them to do it, right? And so you have to surrender that piece of it, and that's hard to do. Anybody? Again, this is where husbands and wives don't look at one another. Don't do any of that because, right? Another fear, she says, is being perceived as a needy person if you do ask for help. We don't want to be ashamed of our situation or come across as incompetent, she says. So we work really hard to make sure people don't see us this way. And this idea is amplified, she says, and this was a recent uh, article I read, this was amplified when COVID-19 hit. Nobody wanted to ask for help because then it would seem like they're needy or they're, they're weak in a way. And so this crisis that we're facing has just kind of broadened that spectrum a little bit. And she says, um, you may feel that people have their own worries to take care of, so you just don't ask them for help. So your worries don't feel like a significant burden to someone else. She says, some people are also afraid that they'll be shunned or rejected if they ask for help. We make a lot of excuses for not making the request, she says. The irony is that most often people do want to help you, even though your mind is clouded thinking that they don't want to help you. She says, our most natural response when we ask for help to anyone is that, sure, I can help you. What do you need? Right? Have you ever thought, I don't want to say that to that person? And then when you ask them, they're like, okay, sure. And then it's like, uh, it was that easy. But really, it is that easy is what she's saying. And so going back to the lesson this morning, as we look to the word of God, I really want to establish this fact, that the greatest help we can ever receive isn't from a person. It's not from your best friend. It's not from your brother, your family, your mom, your dad. Those, those people are great at helping us, but the greatest help we can get is from the Lord. We serve a God who he wants to help us. Jesus wants to help you. Tell your neighbor, Jesus wants to help you. No matter how big your help that you need is, he does want to help you. The Bible's full of stories where Jesus was led or filled with compassion. And his grace for us is so great that he is always helping us, whether we even realize it or we don't realize it. If you woke up this morning with breath in your body, Jesus was helping you because he could have instantly said, all right, that's enough of that, right? God's assistance is there whether we see it or not. No matter what you've been through, no matter your background, that doesn't disqualify you from this fact that God wants to help you. You guys understand where I'm going. That Just because we're all sinners. Just because we've made mistakes, God still wants to help us more than we even recognize that we need his help. We don't have to question God's desire to help us. You know, the enemy tries to trick us and saying, you're not worthy of the help. You're not, you're not, you know, you're too small or your, your issue isn't, you know, big enough in the eyes of God that, that he doesn't want to help you. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy. God wants to help us. We don't have to question his desire to help us. He's not like another person where he will let us down. God's help is perfect and it's always on time. Isaiah 41 and 10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. 
Three verses later in verse 13, it says, For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. And a couple more verses later, Isaiah 41 and 17 says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. What is that saying there? Whenever someone is in need, God is always there ready to help that person. The real question to this help is, do we ask for the help? Going back to being independent. Are we too good or are we too puffed up? Are we too proud to ask God for help when we need help? And if he, even if he does provide that help, do we trust in that help? Do you wait on God to do what he says he's going to do? Or do you just take it in your own hands? Because that help we thought we wanted, I talked a bit earlier about, we don't surrender our control to the help. Do we trust God when he helps? And finally, do we obey him when he says, this is the help I'm providing? Do this, do that. Do we obey what the scripture says to receive that help? And so this help that I want to focus on this morning is, is sort of specific, but I want to talk about the help that God provides in our own battles. The help God provides in our own battles. Because God can and he does as we sing the song, he does help us fight our battles. We see this truth as we read in Psalms 46 and 1, where it says, God is our refuge and God is our strength. God is, with that comma there, a very present help in trouble. And if you write in your Bible, if you take notes, I want to challenge you, underline that, highlight that. Read and pray that every day because there's power in that and we just kind of glance over it. Yes, I know he's my strength. I know he's my refuge. I know he can help me when I'm in trouble. But I want to point out that part. He's a very present help in trouble. And the more and more that I study the word of God, I am amazed at the depth of revelation that God continues to reveal to me. Because if I just held that one verse alone, I probably could spend hours just digging into this one passage of scripture really quickly right here. But, but again, really quickly, I just want to point out four simple points from this passage in Psalms 46 and 1. The first one is simple, and that is God is our refuge. A refuge is simply, it's a condition of being safe or sheltered from someone who is pursuing you or shelter from danger or shelter from trouble. It represents, a refuge just represents something providing shelter. For us, it could be a person, a place, perhaps an institution, a location. It's just a, of a representation, sorry, of a sheltered cover or a covering of sorts. In Proverbs 18 and 10 tells us the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's a type of refuge. The righteous run into that refuge and they are safe. And so the question is, have you ever felt like you've been pursued or you've been attacked or you're under attack? Have you ever felt vulnerable in your walk with God at times, right? There's seasons we go through where we face all those things. And the truth is God is, he should be our refuge where we flee to. We shouldn't be fleeing to the things of this world. We should flee to him. Because that's the only place where we can find true shelter and be safe. That's where we can be secure is in the Lord. He is our refuge. The second point in this passage is just, again, it's simple. God is our, our strength. Have you ever felt when you're in trouble, have you ever felt oppressed? Have you ever felt oppressed? And really oppressed just means, again, have you ever felt just weakened by the effort it takes to continue to fight in that struggle? Have you ever just been worn out, tired, day after day after day in the trouble that you're in? That's what oppression feels like. It's a weight. There's a heaviness. There is a, there is a, a weakness that just comes upon you. You can't just point to it physically, even though physically how many of y'all are tired sometimes? Just after a long day, you want to sleep. 
right? I love to sleep. Lord, if I could, sleeping is highly unhealthy for me, but if I could get enough, I would just sleep and sleep and sleep. But spiritually, we're not able to do that, right? Spiritually, physically, when we sleep, we get some strength out of that. We get some, some our body just, you know, all that adrenaline and everything else that flows in our body when we go to sleep, all that dissipates and our body starts to renew itself. But in the spirit, it's a little bit different because in the spirit, our strength isn't from within us. Our strength is in the Lord. And so as we talk about God is our strength, when you're oppressed in that trouble, you don't need to lean on your own ability to get out of that. You shouldn't lean in your own you know, your natural ability, whatever God gave you, those talents and abilities, those aren't what going to get you strength in that trouble. God is where we must turn to for strength. God is our strength. He's the one that can bear us up, lift us up when we are burdened. He's the one who has fit us and, and put us together. He's the one who helps us when we're suffering. He will, by his grace, put strength into us, and on him, we may cast all our cares. The word strength we see here in Psalms 46 is also translated as the word power, meaning God is our strength, but also God is our source of power. I'm going to let that sink in a little bit. Your power is not your own. The Holy Ghost God put in you. The Bible says, and after that, and, after, and power which shall come upon you after that, the Holy Ghost, you guys know what verse I'm talking about in Acts, but God has put his spirit in you so that you can tap into that source of power because we know God has all power, right? God is all powerful. It's why we can stand on the word and declare in 1 John chapter uh, 4 and verse 4, we talk about greater is he that is in me than the trouble that I'm going through, than he that is in the world. That power, that strength that we lean on, Greater is that thing than anything else we can find in, that, in this world. As we look at David, right, David was an example of someone who knew God as his refuge. And many times in his life, David, he was running from people who wanted to kill him, but he always found safety in God. Psalms 62 and verse 5, it says, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He is, or he only is, sorry, my rock and my salvation. He is my defense in my refuge. He's my refuge, my strength. I shall not be moved when I am in him. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God, David says. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. And so if you want to know the secret to making God our refuge, it really isn't much of a secret. The only thing you have to do, it goes back to that independence question. You got to ask God to be your refuge. Why is it so hard to find God sometimes? Well, you didn't ask for God in that moment. If you want God to be your refuge, step one is ask him to be your refuge. If you want to know how to make God your strength, again, the answer is not complicated. You got to ask him to be your strength. You got to trust him to be your strength. You got to lean on him and obey him when he tells you how to be strengthened. In this psalm we just read in verse 8 of Psalm 62, David said, pour out your heart to him. That's, that's really the answer. Pour out your heart heart to God. And David showed us that he did this consistently as we read all the Psalms that he wrote, as we read into his story. David poured out his heart to God about what was going on in his life. And he asked God to intervene to help him. He asked God to intervene on his behalf. My question is, do you do that? Do you ask God to help you? Or do you take it in your own hands? Do you try to do things your own way? Have you ever asked God to be your refuge? Have you ever asked God to be your strength? Do you pour out your heart to God when life is throwing you curveballs? Do you share with God? Here's an here's a interesting one. Do you share with God the good things that you're going through? 
or do you just run to God when things are bad? Do you tell God about the mundane things in your life? God, you won't believe what happened to me today. I was at a light, Lord, and this lady, she about to pull off, but it was red. And Lord, I know you held her back from going through there because had she went through, we might have got an accident. But Lord, just mundane things, God, I thank you for that. Thank you that I don't have to witness carnage and, and, and craziness. Mundane things. Do you go to God with that? Or do you just run to him when you need help in trouble? I want to challenge you. The third point as we look at Psalms 46 is just this. There is going to be trouble. There is going to be trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help inside, within, in the context of, I don't know any other way I can say in, in trouble. It's important to note what this verse implies about trouble. And that is we will, unfortunately, at some point in time, have to face it. If you think living for God is going to be free from trouble, and I hope to enlighten you as much as possible this morning, in every life, whether you live for God or you don't live for God, there's going to be trouble. There's nothing fair about the trouble we go through. I wish I can tell you why that person is in that trouble and why this person's in that trouble and why I'm going through trouble. My son always says, it's not fair. Well, life is not fair. There is just trouble, right? There's nothing we can, you know, do to outright avoid trouble. There is scripture that gives us instruction for what to do in the trouble. And we've talked about it, right? A refuge and strength in the Lord. But if you think walking with God isn't without trial or tribulation, then I challenge you to read about the early church. Persecution, attack, tribulation. Those shouldn't be foreign concepts to followers of God because that's exactly what the early church had to go through. They had trouble everywhere they looked. Being a child of God, being a follower of Jesus Christ, believe it or not, it really invited trouble. Jesus himself also had to face trouble. The Bible tells us he was tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus also had people from his own country, people probably within his family that didn't believe who he said he was. He had people that in the cities and, and the places where he went, the Bible tells us there were times that the very people of the city, Jesus is healing them, doing miracles, signs, and wonders. The Bible said when they asked Jesus who he was and he told them they picked up stones to stone him. He was wrongly accused, we know that, and innocent when they crucified him. If that isn't trouble, I don't know what that is. And the word trouble in this, in this uh, passage in Psalms 46, the word trouble also is translated simply as trials and tribulations. They can look different for every one of us. It could mean sickness for you, disease for you, financial problems, marital problems, relationship problems. It could be a test of faith or a fight against sin and wickedness. The truth is trouble looks different for everyone. I want to add, though, that not all trouble is from the devil. All right? Not all the trouble you face is from the devil. And I don't want to give him any more credit than he deserves. The truth is sometimes life is just hard. Life is just difficult. But there's also another truth to this. And that is that when you decide to follow after Jesus, all of hell paints a target on your back. And the truth is we don't need to invite trouble, but we should not be caught off guard when the trouble comes. Because there is an enemy out there that wants nothing more than to destroy us. So don't be caught off guard by trouble. And the last point from this passage of Psalms 46 and one is the point that I like to focus our remaining time on. And that is just God is a present help while we are in the trouble. Right? He is a very present help in trouble is what Psalms 46 and 1 does. And I want to say that God does not promise to always be with us, to keep us 
from trouble. Weird how I worded that, but God doesn't promise to be with you just to keep you from facing the trouble. Rather, he promises to always be with us, to never leave us, to never forsake us while we're inside of the trouble. The New American Standard Bible reads Psalms 46 and 1 as, he is a very ready help in trouble. The NIV version says he is an ever-present help in trouble. And the New Living Translation says that God is always ready to help in times of trouble. He promises to always be with us in the trouble that will inevitably become our way as we live in this fallen world. The trouble that may come our way even if we live righteously, even if we live according to the word of God, there's still going to come trouble, but God promises to be with us, right? If we seek God with all our hearts, what the Bible tells us to do, he will be with us, but it doesn't eliminate the trouble, okay? We started off this morning reading from 2 Chronicles about King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem who were facing an Assyrian army led by Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And the reason why this story is important and meaningful this morning is because many of us can relate to King Hezekiah. We can relate to him on some level. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, 29 verses uh, 1 through 3, it says that Hezekiah, he became king at 25 years old. And the Bible says he reigned nine or 29 years in Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, and Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He in the first year of his reign, in the first month of his reign, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. And as we, as I kind of lay this foundation to relate us to to King Hezekiah. Verse 2 in that scripture tells us that Hezekiah did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And the truth is at some point, all of us have to stand up and we have to start doing that which is right in the sight of the Lord. If you're in here this morning, at some point you made a decision that say, today I'm going to go to the house of God. I'm going to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And Hezekiah, he could not have been any more different, the Bible tells us, from his father, Ahaz. Ahaz, in one chapter before, in chapter 28, it says Ahaz had been wicked, and he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. And so here we have Hezekiah, and as we look to Hezekiah's father, Ahaz, Ahaz had forsaken the Lord. He worshiped the gods of the surrounding nations, even going so far as offering children as burnt sacrifices to these other gods. That is a wicked man. Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 24 and 25 says, Ahaz had gone so far as to gather together the vessels of the house of God. He cut these vessels into pieces and he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord. The Bible says Ahaz made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every several city of Judah. He made high places to burn incense unto other gods and he provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So Hezekiah grew up watching his father do things that he shouldn't have done. He grew up watching as his father did all this wickedness as king, the nation, the people. He had to watch these people follow after what their king was doing, and he was the son. And the Bible tells us immediately, as we just read, when he came into power, Hezekiah, in the first month of his reign, the Bible tells us he undid all that stuff that his father did. He reopened the temple. He then gathered the priests and the Levites, and he commanded them to consecrate themselves for service in the temple and to purify it 
and restore the sacrifices that God commanded his people to do. As he restored right worship, Hezekiah also eliminated the false worship that his father had put in place. He removed the altars from Jerusalem. He commanded that all the altars and high places be destroyed throughout the whole kingdom of Judah. In 2 Chronicles 31, verses 20 and 21, it says, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all of Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he begun in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, the Bible says he did it with all his heart and he prospered. And again, I want to relate this to many of us because we can relate on some level with Hezekiah, right? Some of us, this may be part of our testimony, whether we were born into this thing or we had an upbringing similar to Hezekiah where we watched People make bad decisions. Family members live outside of the will of God. There comes a point in every, in every believer's life where we have to put away sin. We have to put away the things of the world and turn our focus and attention to God. That's all that King Hezekiah did. And it may seem like to some of us a huge decision to make, but all you have to do is, as he did, reopen the temple, reopen the relationship where we can prioritize the things of God. And then you'll start putting away all those other things. And likewise, we can also testify with Hezekiah that making that change, right, when we decide to follow after God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, when we do that, how many of y'all are blessed today because of that, right? We are blessed because we have decided to follow after Jesus. Hezekiah, with no, you know, it really it makes sense to all of us why we follow God. We're blessed. The Bible tells us Hezekiah and the kingdom of Judah began to be blessed. They brought blessing into their lives. And the Bible tells us that the kingdom of Judah began to prosper. And for many years, Hezekiah and the people of Judah, they lived in peace and prosperity. But in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, the Assyrians came to destroy Hezekiah's kingdom. Going back to Hezekiah's evil father, Ahaz, Ahaz, he had a whole bunch of enemies due to his wickedness. God made all the nations around him just fight him due to all the wickedness he was doing. After he began to worship other gods, he found himself having to fight enemy after enemy. And Ahaz, he had to battle the Assyrians as well. But the Bible tells us that Ahaz, he made a deal with the Assyrians, paying them tribute. And eventually the nation of Judah would become a, a vassal to the Assyrians. Every time the Assyrians would come up, he would be like, how much do I owe you? So you don't have to bother me no more. He would pay them off in order for his nation to be spared. But when Hezekiah became king, the Bible tells us in 2 Kings 18 and 7 that he immediately rejected in this vassalage, the Bible tells us in uh, 2 Kings 18 and 7 that Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria and he did not serve him. And so you can imagine if you're this king of Assyria, he didn't tolerate any rebellion. And, and immediately, as soon as Hezekiah said, we ain't doing this no more, immediately he began to march on Judah in order to chastised Hezekiah. Sennacherib attacked and captured all the fortified cities of Judah. And then the Bible says he set his sights on Jerusalem. 2 Kings 18 and 13 says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah. And the Bible says this foreign king took them. You can write down for the sake of time this morning, these chapters, but 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Chronicles chapters 30 through 32, if you ever want to read this story, they detail the rest of the account of King Hezekiah. And for the sake of time, again, I'm not going to read all of it, but I want to say this. In 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 5, we find that Hezekiah was a man who trusted in God, right? He turned his attention toward the things of God. He got rid of all the 
the worship that was to other gods in the kingdom. He restored order to the house of God. And the Bible says that he trusted God. He had such trust in the Lord. The Bible says, again, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Hezekiah surpassed all others in trusting the Lord. And here is where I really want to focus our attention for the last few minutes this morning. We're talking about God being a very present help in our times of trouble. The Bible just told us that Hezekiah trusted in God. But his deep trust in God did not mean, however, that he thought God would do all the work within his situation. I want to say that one more time. Just because he trusted in God, it didn't mean that he thought all the work was going to be on God's side. God wasn't going to, in, in, in other words, as I'm going to put it in Trey Henderson speak, in other words, the shoulder of the blame didn't all fall on God. There was a piece of this puzzle that Hezekiah also had to do as well. Just because we trust God to help us, and he will help us, we must understand that we also have a responsibility to the workload as well. Hezekiah did what he could do while trusting that God would do what Hezekiah could not do. And I know that's a difficult concept to grasp. And I was trying to think of a scenario that would make a little bit of sense, but my children asked me to help with their homework. And they look at me sometimes like, Daddy, why don't you just do it for me? And I'm like, I'm not going to do it for you. You have a responsibility to try to do your part, and I'll do my part to help out. And that's, that's what I'm trying to point out this morning. But first, the Bible says Hezekiah, he tried to pay the Assyrians to leave. He didn't want to be a vassal to them, but he says, you know what? Here, take it. God will bless me anyhow later. You can take that. Leave us alone. We don't need to be enemies here. We're not going to be allies, but leave us alone and we'll go about our own way. That was the first thing Hezekiah tried to do. When that fell, he set about, the Bible says, to undermine the Assyrians' ability to wage war against him. We read these verses earlier, but 2 Chronicles 32, verses 3 and 4 tell us, Hezekiah began to cut off the water supplies outside the city to deny the Assyrians an easy source of water to sustain them during this siege that they had put against Jerusalem. After he cut off the water to the enemy, he went about fortifying the city itself. He would do everything he knew to do while still trusting in God for the success of what was coming. In short, Hezekiah prepared for battle while seeking and depending on the Lord. He repaired the city wall where it had been broken. He built towers on the wall from which his soldiers could attack their attackers. Then he added an entire another wall while repairing other military fortifications and making weapons and shields in abundance. After strengthening the physical city and walls, Hezekiah began to then strengthen the spirit of the people. To encourage them, he didn't focus on their ability. He didn't focus on their bravery or their valor. He didn't try to tell his people to focus on everything they've done to fortify the city or what the people could do to fortify it even more. In short, he did not encourage the people by urging them to rely on anything in the natural. He encouraged them by focusing on God and the help that God would give to those who steadfastly look to him for deliverance. Second Chronicles 32 verses 7 and 8. This is what he told his people. He told them to be strong and to be courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. He told them, for there be more with us than be with them. With him, talking about the enemy, is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God who will help us. And he will help us fight our battles. And the Bible says the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah. The people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah 
king of Judah. They placed their confidence in the help from God that Hezekiah proclaimed, and they rested in him. Psalms 46 and 10 tells us to be still. Be still and know that I am God. Yes, we are to do what we can to be ready for the troubles and the battles that are going to come. Hezekiah, he did just that. He did whatever he could. And by having done his best to prepare, he ceased his work and looked to the Lord for the actual victory. Though Hezekiah did have this solid foundation of faith and he was acting on it, the threat that the Assyrians brought was a real one. There was a real enemy outside their walls. It wasn't just, I'm going to close my eyes and the enemy's going to go away and God's going to handle it. No, the enemy was very, very real. They were standing at his doorstep. They were cruel and they were terrifying to Hezekiah. And not surprisingly, we find that for a moment, Hezekiah had a moment of doubt. In a moment of doubt about his and Jerusalem's faith, Hezekiah sent some of his officials dressed in sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. And in response, God gave a word to Isaiah for Hezekiah. 2 Kings 19 and uh, verses 6 through 7, Isaiah said, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send the blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. In effect, God was telling Isaiah and Hezekiah, be still and know that I am God. Hezekiah, Hezekiah, you need to just calm down a little bit. Stop doubting the help that I said I would provide. And sometimes that's what we need to do. We've done everything we can, and then we think we need to do more. We need to try this and turn to that and do that. And I'm just here to tell somebody, be still. Stop doubting. Remember who your faith is in. You don't have to depend on yourself. God's saying, I've got this. I'm helping you in this. And God, we find, was true to his word. He sent an angel to cut off all the mighty men of valor. And when the king of Assyria came into the house of his God, he was killed by those around him. So stand with me this morning as I come to a close. We're talking about God being a very present help. And normally... Uh, the lessons we do on Sunday mornings, they are uh, part of a curriculum. And normally I don't just read the conclusion of it, but today's actual lesson was written very well, and I'm just going to read it how it was. It says this, we face all kinds of troubles and enemies in this life, both human, spiritual, demonic. There are forces that are enemies to us, but we can be glad that we are not alone in the fight. We can be glad there will always be more for us than against us because the Lord our God is in the midst to fight our battles. But for us to see this as a reality in our lives, we must go beyond just being glad for those facts and approving of those facts of who God is. We must act on those facts. When we see enemies on the horizon coming our way to attack us, in our day, we're not likely to see an actual army coming our way. But what if someone on the job attacks you? What if someone criticizes your work? What if they sow seeds of doubt about your integrity or undermine someone else's opinion of you and on what you put your hands toward, what you work for? Or what if you're trying to start something new, maybe a new ministry, maybe something, and someone doesn't think you have what it takes to do it? And they try to sow doubt about you to your friends and relatives, maybe even to the members of your church or your pastor. And it discourages others from getting involved or supporting you in your new venture. What if a bully at school is bullying your child? If you're a parent, boy, that is an enemy right there. What do you tell your children, right? What if you feel under constant spiritual assault from Satan? And feelings of fear or temptation constantly bombard you. Or what if 
And the truth is, we could give multiple examples of the various ways enemies and troubles may array themselves against us. The question is, what do you do? Regardless of the enemy, we must be still and know that he is God. Claim is what it says. Cry out that God is your refuge and he is your strength. And God is right there within your very present to help you in your trouble. Be like Hezekiah. Do what you can reasonably do to clarify things with your boss, with your family, with your friends, to assure others, this is what I'm putting my hands for. This is what I'm going to do. Speak to the teacher at school about the person or the child who's bullying your child. Do whatever you can do to minimize Satan's ability to tempt you. Don't go on those websites. Don't go and look at those things. Take away social media if you have to. Do what you can do. By all means, take action. But as you do that and you do what you can do, fix your eyes upon God in the process. Confess God's promises to be an ever-present warrior who will fight your battles. And then stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? Lord, I thank you, God, for being a very present help, God. God, sometimes, Lord, I take for granted the help that you are, God. But I'm so quick, God, to come and run to you, God, when I'm in trouble. But, Lord, I want to start running to you when I'm in good times and running to you, God, over just what's happening in my life, God, because I want to see you as very present in my life at all times, God, not just in trouble, God. But I know even when I'm in trouble, God, you're not leaving me. You're not forsaking me, God. As I try and do, God, what I know you're leading me to do, Lord, I pray, help me to be still, God, and know who you are. Know that you are God. God, that you'll never let me down, Lord. That, God, your plans for me are always better, God, than even I have for myself. And, Lord, help us today, God, to see you as a very present help as we face this life, God, that we live in. I pray it in Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.com livinghopemd.com so I'm gonna wait on you Jesus I'm gonna wait on you Jesus